Hi, and welcome to this month's Dharma Things podcast. We've got another wonderful guest for you this week, this month, sorry. Um, and hopefully we can bring a little joy to your day, whatever you're doing. Maybe your day is fully joyous already, but hopefully you can find some little snippets of inspiration and wisdom as we usually aim to do throughout this podcast. And joining me today is another old friend. This podcast just turns out to be a series of my old friends. <laughs> so um, my old friend Nama, and Nama is a life and career coach. So hi, Nama, how are you? Hi, Miz. I'm good. So good to be here with you. <laughs> I feel like we're just having a, a nice conversation together. <laughs> exactly. That's what it's yeah. all about. And finally, I've got you here. Yay, Nama's here. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> we talked oh. about doing this for quite some time. Um, and it was actually you who probably inspired me and, and, and nudged me into just getting on and doing this anyway. So it's about time that you're here. Yeah, so it's a closure. And I feel like I actually remember, I remember we were talking about it. And I remember um, like imposter syndrome came up and we <laughs> like, talked about, I said like, we need to normalize imposter syndrome. <laughs> the whole syndrome part is just really annoying as well because it makes it like this, you know, special uh, thing that only weird people have or broken people have. But we already know that 70% of the population have imposter syndrome. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting statistic to open with. I didn't know that. I yeah. mean, you know, sometimes you talk about it with friends and, uh, and they say, oh, yeah, I feel like that. But I didn't actually know those statistics. I like 70%. Okay. 70%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've dived straight in there with some guidance and some statistics. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, you are a life coach and career coach or life and career coach. So, mm -hmm. but your, your, uh, your website, when you read your website, I had a little look at it and, and apparently you used to be one of us. You used to be a normal person that was indecisive and overthinking and suffered from imposter syndrome and and wh when did you actually stop all that and become a superwoman well I didn't stop <laughs> like you I still have those thoughts and I still have moments of overthinking and um and all of that but you know I've just really done a lot of work on myself on uh, becoming self-aware of understanding how my brain works and what triggers me and around my limiting beliefs and fears and all of that. I've done so much work that, you know, when it shows up, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't take such a big place. Mm -hmm. I, it, I don't engage with it so much as I used to because I'm aware of it and I have the tools to kind of work on it. So it's not like <laughs> it never, it never happens. Oh my God, like there is at least every week there is something that comes up that shows up um, and it's just continuing working on it and not expecting it to ever, to ever disappear, right? Like these thoughts, these fears, these things. I mean, it's just part of our human brain as well. It's not something that we can just get rid of. And thankfully, because 
it's what sometimes keeps us safe as well, but most of the time we don't need it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, these thoughts, this sort of resistance to to certain things in life, it, it, yeah, it is a safety mechanism, isn't it? Just to stop us going into stuff that's gonna create any danger, but there's a huge sort of gray area where we're between what we are and the new adventure, there's a, a, a gray area that is variable for everybody, isn't there? Like everybody, mm. some people have a small gray area, some people have a much bigger gray area. Yeah, yes. And I mean, whenever we are considering doing something new or stepping out of our comfort zone or considering, you know, even something like simple as, um, I don't know, talking with a stranger, whatever, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be this big thing, but our brain will just perceive it as threats because it is something that we are not used to do. It is something that is new for us. And in order to protect us, our brain is going to like, you know, use all these little tactics, which is all these thoughts that we hear, these voices of like, you're not good enough, or you will never be able to do this, or it's you're too old for this, or too young for this, or no one will take you seriously, or you know, you'll you'll blow up, you know, whatever. Something, you know, we always hear those voices and they are just there to protect us. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Because if we believe it, we won't do it. We won't do the thing that scares us. Yeah, exactly. So just because you're a life coach, it doesn't mean that you have everything absolutely perfectly organized and there are none of these voices in your head. No, no, no. It just means that um, that I have the tools to deal with them, okay. with the voices. And it means that I'm more aware of them. Yep. Because that's what I do all day. You know, that's what I talk with my clients. So obviously it's just, it's more... Um, I, I'm more aware of it. And when you're aware of something, it's easier to work on it and to change it, right? It doesn't just take over without you even knowing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. And I think, you know, one thing that people, I think when it comes to, you know, personal development and personal growth and all of that, it's so important to remember that there is no arising, like it's a lifetime work. There is no point where you arrive and then you have no worries. You don't have any fears. You're just like conquering it all with confidence. And no, there's no such a thing. It's really a lifetime journey. It's like, a, you know, new level, new devil. You manage to work on one thing and then you meet another fear, another block. There's always something to work on, which is exciting if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, a shift in your perception of these things, isn't it? Are we going to be fearful or are we going to embrace these things? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's so much satisfaction from overcoming these fears, from doing something that you never thought you'd be able to do, from, yeah, from just learning that actually the, the one thing that stops us is it's it's our are these thoughts it's ourselves like we are really the only person who's like standing in our own way yeah 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 and you hear every that time it's a hard thing to 
to actually step out of your own way. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard. And then, I mean, you know, that's why I do what I do to help people to do it because it's scary to do it on your on your own and it's hard to know what to do and it can be overwhelming and also we all have our blind spots right so the things that we are not able to see even I have blind spots even I work with coaches I mean there's this thing yeah like what you said just because you're a life coach that it it doesn't mean that you're like over all of these things no I think you know coaches have coaches and if you you know, if you want to stay in integrity with your work and to keep growing, I, it's it's important to keep working with other coaches as well and working on these things. Yeah, yeah. And how did you, I mean, there's a lot of the things that you've said, um, I find come into yoga practice as the, the mm-hmm. listeners probably have gathered by now. I'm a yoga teacher and mm-hmm. um We've also had different people on from sort of fitness and well-being backgrounds and, you know, who've talked about this thing about um, having certain kind of physical achievements through a yoga practice. You know, a lot of the obstacles are in your own head, are these fear things. And um, I know that you and I met actually nothing to do with the life coaching. You were my Ashtanga teacher Mm -hmm. a couple of years. So... How did you just, um, we kind of went straight into a conversation without actually talking about where you, how you got where you are. How have you transitioned from what you were doing to being a yoga teacher, to being where you are now um, in terms of your career, but also physically, because you've lived in different places around the world, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, so here's something that you might not know, because we talked before and we said, like, maybe you'll discover new things as well. Um, I was actually the first eight of my li- um, first eight years of my life, I spent in Nigeria in Africa. Okay, so that was like, uh, yeah, so um, I feel like I am, I'm definitely like this hybrid and I kind of grew up in different places. And then as I got older, I moved as well. Um, so yeah, so I was, um, I was, I was born in Israel, but, um, it it was just like the technical part of being born in Israel. My parents lived in Nigeria before, and then my mom, um, came back to Israel to just give birth. And then when I was three months, had my first flight, (laughs) um, and then went back to Israel, grew up in Israel. And then when I was, um, 17 or 16 not sure don't remember exactly but um I started developing eating disorders and body image issues and um I was running a lot like I I was running every day and um my neighbor who was a yoga teacher one day she said you know what I think that you would really benefit uh from yoga she said like uh, come to my class and I think she she kind of knew that I might not be up to it. You know, it was it was more than 18 years ago. So before yoga was popular and before there was Instagram and all of that. Um, so she said, you know, I think it will be really good for your running, you know, working on your breath and so on. So I came to her yoga class, um, which was in our like little village hall. We didn't even have mm-hmm. mats. There were carpets that we practiced on. 
and it was amazing. It was like the first class I've been to, I just felt immediately like that was the place where I could rest my mind. Right. And, and it felt like a homecoming. Okay. Um, so you had, you were in a place where you were suffering from eating disorders. Was that, was that because of a level of anxiety and stress through studying at that age or something? No, it was more of like, um, I think it all comes from feeling not good enough, from feeling like if I just kind of shrink my body, I will fit in, um, you know, wanting to, wanting to be, to feel, yeah, wanting to feel like I fit in. And somehow I got the idea that I can do it through uh, manipulating my body yeah. into a certain size. Um, so, I mean, I think it also comes to, you know, diet culture and, uh, and, and our just cultural kind of um, um, idea of what is like a fit body and, and all of that. So that was why I, you know, I went on my first diet when I was 16 and it was very, um, you know, a very unhealthy one. Um, and I started seeing like the numbers go down on the scale and that became like some kind of addiction, like any addiction, yeah. um, like seeing how, how far can I stretch, you know, how far can I stretch not eating and running and running more? Mm. Um, so that was kind of my first entry to yoga. Um, and it was just, it wasn't, you know, and she wouldn't like, when we asked her like, okay, what type of yoga is it? You know, she, just the yoga I learned, you know, she yeah. wasn't any, anything, uh, anything defined. Um, but I think it was kind of some, some form of Hatha yoga. Um, okay. yeah. Looking back. We really caught up with boxing it off these days, don't we? These yes. different types of yoga. I mean, ob Hatha, obviously it's like the, the the original you know exactly younger, but then there's all these other little types that have come out since and we feel like we need to label it it's funny that you said it because when I lived in the Netherlands I practiced with um with an Indian woman and when people asked her like okay what type of yoga is it she said this is just the yoga that my mom taught me yeah <laughs> okay yeah you know it's just what my mom taught me Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was kind of my journey into yoga and I practiced kind of um you know I went to yoga classes it wasn't um it wasn't yet I would say like my own spiritual daily practice you know as I would say it is now um and then when I moved to the Netherlands um to study art I uh, started practicing there Ashtanga yoga, Mysore practice, and that was like a whole, a whole new level for me. That was like, it, it was, that was like the second time I really felt like I came home. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, even though I didn't have like eating disorders, I still had a very disordered relationship with my body. Um, and the Ashtanga practice really, really helped me with that just okay. to, yeah, yeah. So your yoga practice had allowed you to be a little more confident in your body then and less punishing towards yourself? I think it just allowed me to get to know my body on a different level. 
Mm-hmm. I think up till now, it was like my my body was like an external entity. It wasn't something I, I didn't feel like I am my body or like I live in my body. It was like something that I, I looked out from the outside, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And the yoga practice helped me to get to know my body from inside and have a different relationship with my body and be in awe with my body of like what I can do, not from like, oh, I can do this and this, I can like go into a split, which I can't, but whatever, you know, like it's not from the ego place, but from like, wow, it doesn't matter. Like I don't need to um, starve myself or I don't need to like run 10 kilometers a day to feel good about my body like my body is amazing just as it is you know it can breathe it can move it can do all of these things so it just really changed my relationship with my body yeah that's a really interesting way of putting it actually and and I again that's a phrase that you hear a lot isn't it about like when you're in a yoga practice or maybe a dance practice or whatever about actually being in your body. And I think sometimes I, I, I think what, what does that actually mean? Mm. Cause I've, I've had a physical practice to whatever degree, like my physical practice at the moment is fairly non-existent, but um, as soon <laughs> as soon as I could stand up, I've had some sort of physical practice, whether it was gymnastics or dance or whatever my father used to teach me at home. So I've always kind of been in my body, um, understanding how it moves and how it feels and stuff. But there's a lot of people that don't do that. I know that. And I think that's a really interesting point that you just made of like your relationship with your body. It's sometimes because we only see our bodies when we look at it, Mm -hmm. the same as we look at an object in front of us, you know, or we look at ourselves in the mirror, it is like it's another thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's a thing that we see the same as we see all this other stuff that's around us. So it must be quite difficult to actually feel as though it's a part of you. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it completely links and ties into, we all have, um, I call it like an inner self and an outer self. Mm-hmm. And the outer self is kind of how we look at ourselves from other people's point of view, like how we imagine they perceive us or they perceive our choices. And then sometimes we, and I think we have both. I mean, there's no way to kind of ignore that outer self and, and it's okay. Some people live too much, I would say, or lean too much into the outer self where all the choices and the way they live is based on this external view they have of of themselves. And the same is goes for the body, right? Like how we we perceive ourselves, ourselves through this outer self. Like I am fit, I am skinny, I am health, like I have this kind of body. And yeah, and, and I think that that yoga helps us to connect more with our inner self, body, um, and beyond, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I never thought about that. And it kind of makes me think about the degree to which I've been in my body. Because, Mm. um, you know, there's still a lot of over-criticism there. Just because I've had a physical practice since I was a kid doesn't mean that I am fully connected with my inner 
self. There's still a lot of should look like this, should be able to perform mm -hmm. like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think again, that's some of it is like a, a lifetime work again, like connecting to our inner self is a lifetime work because we also constantly change and we, we learn new things about ourselves. Well, hopefully, you know, hopefully we change and we discover more about ourselves. Um, so again, it's also about not, there is no point of arrival. Mm, yeah. It's continuous. Yeah. <laughs> But where were we up to with you? You were in the Netherlands then studying art. Yes. So, so I, even, I'm looking at I'm looking at the state of things, and you're quite a long way from being where you are now in terms of yeah. academia, more yes. than anything. So yeah. what happened in the Netherlands after studying art? Yeah, and I will just go back for a moment to say that before I moved to the Netherlands, like a few years before, maybe four years or five years, I told my mom that I wanted that I want to be a yoga teacher and that I want to do a yoga teacher tra training. I think I was about 21 then. And my mom was like looking at me like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> no, you're not going to be some hippie yoga teacher. And I then. <laughs> I think that if I would say it today, like in these days where yoga is very, uh, you know, it's popular, it's not something that weird people do. But back then, you know, there, again, there was no Instagram. Um, Facebook was just at the beginning, like there was no, like yoga wasn't what it is today. So my mom was like, no, you need to go to university. You need to get like a degree later on. If you want, you can do, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. So, well, I went and got myself a degree in fine arts, you know, it's not that I became a lawyer or whatever, but at least I had a degree, you know, at least I went to university. Um, so I studied fine arts for four years. I graduated with honors. Um, I was like, um, um, I had some kind of, um, what did I want to say? Yeah, so I, I, I had some exhibitions after that. I was exhibiting my work in, in Amsterdam, in Prague, and some places. Oh. But the, the thing is that in the last two years of my study, I was already doubting if this is really what I want to do. But I'm also the person who starts something and finishes it. And I, when I do something, I, I try to do it in the best possible way. Um, so I did graduate and I, I did graduate with like I was nominated for prices and stuff like that. But I was still like doubting, is this what I want to do? Mm -hmm. And what I felt was that when I was at exhibitions, talking with people about my art, it was again, it's interesting. I'm thinking about it as I'm speaking, but it was like as as if I'm like putting this hat on, like this mask on, like now I am the artist and I need to behave and look at it like in a certain way okay and I just I didn't feel like it was I didn't feel like I could be myself as an artist and I just at some point I just knew it wasn't it wasn't my path um it's interesting again because it was like it was again about looking at my outer self mm -hmm. this is how she looks like when she's the artist yeah um, yeah so I was doing some exhibitions and, and, and in the meantime, I went and did the yoga teacher training um, in Miami with Kino and Tim, mm -hmm. uh, with Kino McGregor and Tim Feldman. 
Um, and I came back and I did some more exhibitions and I started teaching yoga. And one day I just, I just knew it. I knew that I, I, I don't wanna, I don't, I'm, I'm more leaning into the yoga world than into the art world. And even though I'm like, I'm still passionate about art. I love, I love art. Um, it just, it didn't feel like it was my path. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of made that decision. Um, and what, what happened is that I stopped, like the moment I made the decision, invitations for exhibitions stopped arriving or publications wanting to like write something or collaborations, like it just stopped the moment I decided. Wow. Yeah, it was really, uh, really interesting. Um, so yeah, so I started teaching uh, yoga full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you probably want to know how I got to the coaching side of things. <laughs> yeah, because I can't recall whether you were doing that when we met, or maybe you did, and I just didn't pay attention because I was more concerned yeah. with the, um, chaturangas or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was doing it um, when we met for sure. Um, I, uh, when I was teaching in the Netherlands, I worked at a studio and then two, um, two practitioners asked me to teach them full time. So I would go to them every day for like two hours, sometimes a bit longer. I would teach them to practice. We'll do some like extra things, you know, like a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of meditation, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and they were, um, one of them owned a really big business coaching school in the Netherlands and the other one worked with her. So I was exposed to the world of coaching through them. Oh. And I was, I just fell in love with it. I was, wow. I felt so pulled towards it. I was. I love the way they kind of approached life and their whole philosophy. And it totally made sense with yoga as well. Um, so that was kind of the thing that inspired me to um, become a coach. Um, yeah. <laughs> and was it them who helped you with the training and stuff? Because I can't imagine that there's an awful lot that you get from a fine art degree that, that comes into life coaching. Maybe, maybe not, but it was it with those people that you developed your skills, your training, your expertise then? So I did, I first did um, a health coaching program um, because coming from yoga, it made sense to me to go towards health coaching. So the, it was coaching focused around like health and well-being. Um, kind of a, a holistic approach and once I finished that training it was a year-long training um, at the um, um, Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York it was an online program obviously I didn't move to New York <laughs> I wish I, I did um, I, um, I then actually worked with one of them to start my business to kind of start establishing it so it was some extra training with them and I did then training. Um, so obviously I learned with, from them when I worked with them, mm-hmm. but then it was more like of a, an intimate a one-to-one, yeah, development together with them as I was starting my business. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And how, like, I, I mean, it's not like you've got a, well, it kind of is because every business you're putting a product in a shop effectively, but you're not making something beautiful for people to pick up and take away with them or to give to their mother for a present. Mm-hmm. Like how, how do you actually go about selling your product and, and that whole sort of supply and demand situation of people being like, yes, I want that. It's not, it's not like you're, you're selling coffee or, mm-hmm. or even yoga classes where there's lots of them in a studio for people to choose from. It's something that's, I guess, personal mm-hmm. and people really have to trust you. So how does that all, how does that all start then? For you as yeah. a new young business owner. Yeah. So the beginning was very challenging. Um, mainly, again, it was ma- mindset that was challenging. And that's where working with a coach really, really helped me. Um, because what I'm saying, yeah, I'm selling a product like any other product, but it's a service product, right? Yeah. It is, it is, yeah. And, and I'm selling myself, which feels very vulnerable, right? To, to kind of put yourself in that position. Um, so there was a lot of mindset work around starting with, with it. At the beginning, it was just reaching out to people I know, to my existing network, right? I, I did calls with people. I sent emails. I just made sure that everyone I knew knows that this is what I do. Okay. And then it takes time. So, you know, the, the good thing is that your existing network already know you. So they know that you um, have these qualities, you know, people who have, uh, you know, who I have listened to for years and came to me for advice, you know, before I put a, a quote unquote title on it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, so using your existing network, the trust hopefully is already there. Because yeah, they know yeah. you. Because they know you, yeah. Okay. But at the, but then also you need to build a trust with people you don't know and don't know you. So that looks like doing workshops. And I mean, you've been to a few of my workshops, right? Mm-hmm. Um, doing workshops, um, going to workplaces, doing workshops there, um, talking with people. I mean, I've learned in the in these in these years of being in in this business is that everything is marketing Mm. everything every and even if you're not a business owner everything is marketing Mm. and I used to like feel so um yeah like so resistant to this word you know even marketing like marketing it sounds but I just um you know it's it's part of how I, you know, this is how I bring, this is how I'm in service of others through putting myself out there. So I learned to, to kind of make peace with it and start to love it and learn through it about myself, about, Mm -hmm. about my own um, limiting beliefs and and fears and stuff like that. So I kind of just kind of learned to, you know, surrender to it. Yeah. I think that's something I really need to do. I mean, I'm, I'm from, a marketing and PR background, and I find it continually hard mm. to market myself mm. because I feel like it's kind of 
it's kind of at odds with the things that we learn in yoga or that I learned a lot of from my dad about being egotistical. And when it comes to marketing, you're really, you're really bigging something up. And this is imposter syndrome again, probably. <laughs> but you've got to, like, you've got your product and you're going, yes, everybody needs to look at this product. This product is amazing. This product is wonderful. And I could do that for records, musicians, events, restaurants, mm. whatever. But then when it comes to doing it to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't, I can't do it. Because it's so much more vulnerable, right? To put yourself yeah. in the position where you're saying like, this is how I can help you. Like if you come work with me or come to my yoga class, you're going to like, you know, whatever, transform this way. Yeah. But why do you feel like it's um, it's kind of against what you learned in yoga and stuff like that? Why do you, what, what about it? Like. I, I guess to a degree, because you, you, uh, there are always these conversations around like, you know, letting go of your ego and uh, not mm -hmm. having your ego driving um, yeah. what you're doing in your practice. And, and sometimes I feel like being in that with my marketing hat on is being really egotistical. Look at me, mm. aren't I wonderful? Isn't my teaching more amazing than that other nice person that I work with? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you, you know what I've learned? It's interesting what you just said. So the first thing I would say is like, it's, I think like, how is it ego when you want to help, you know, you ultimately what you want is to help other people. People come to your yoga class, leaving feeling better feeling maybe more grounded more calm whatever that is you know so you're not actually it's not about like come to me I am amazing I want to have like 50 people in my class right it's about I want to help people feel better and yeah. I think it's more egotistical not to do that like not to give them the opportunity if you have a gift if you have a gift you know and you're not giving it to the world, you're stealing from them. Okay, that's a new way of thinking about it. <laughs> and the other thing, and the other thing I've learned is that sometimes the other side of it, of like, you know, I don't want to show off, like I am, if people like me, they'll discover me, or, you know, like if, I, if this is what I'm meant to do, blah, blah, blah. What I've learned is that that is also actually very ego egoistic because in a way you feel like you don't like you're you're so good and I'm exaggerating, but you're so good that you don't need to tell people about your service, you know, yeah. like, yeah, people will find like people will notice you because, you know, I think there is the other side of it as well mm, that we need yeah. to remember. Yeah. I'm definitely not in that side of it. I just, no, I know, I know. Uh, you're, you're not. I feel I know. a little self-conscious having to put all these photographs on Instagram of me doing stuff and talking about all the things that I do. But you've been there. You've done it. You've had to build this trust. And I guess it's similar to when you were being a yoga teacher and starting out doing that. It's um, like yeah. you said, giving your gift, isn't it? Giving your it's, gift. It's giving your gift. And it's just keep checking in with your intention. Like, is this put, thing that I'm putting, is this post that I'm posting, whatever, is it about me or is it about them? 
what am I trying to, what is my intention here? Am I giving value? Am I uh, trying to help people understand what I do? So if, if they can, if they would benefit from working with me, they'll know that they can reach out. You know, I, you know, I try to just really check in and yeah, we can all fall into the ego part where we want to, again, that outer self, we want to be perceived in a certain way. Um, and to some extent, we sometimes need to do that because um, that's just how things work. But most of, more, more often than not, I really try to check in and, and make sure that it's really coming from a place of service and, again, giving your gift. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. Like you said, adding value. Um, there, there's a, there was a phrase that I saw on your website as well. I'm just trying to find it on my notes as well. Um, meet the design for your truly authentic life. Mm. Well, I'm working on my website now, so <laughs> this, is, this will get updated. <laughs> okay. No, the word okay. authentic... Yeah, I, I like that phrase. I think that that that's quite nice. It's like because you, like you've talked about, you've got to meet yourself. Yeah, yeah. You've got to understand yourself that you're not being egotistical. You've got to understand that you have a gift, and understanding that is your authenticity. I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And 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 claiming, you know, claiming that gift. Why do you need to hide it from yourself or from the world? I mean, I, I know that I definitely um, spent uh, um, a lot of time thinking that I'm not good enough or that I need to hide from the world. But, you know, I think it is about when you meet yourself, you meet the, you know, shadow sides, the dark sides mm -hmm. and the good sides. Yeah, And while you're working on the shadow sides, you also need to celebrate the good sides and really claim them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to actually take, because you, you, you've got some really inspirational things that you say, and um, you're, you're another of our, our conversations that has a newsletter and I often take little bits from your newsletter and put them on my Instagram and tell everybody that they should sign up. Mm -hmm. um, but what I wanted to do was actually just have a bit of fun with some of the things that you post on your um, on your your Instagram and um, pick some of your phrases and, mm -hmm. then, and mm -hmm. see if you can just talk around them for a little bit. So I'm literally just going to do this at random and see sure. on which one we can do. That's a fun, uh, a fun little game. I love it. <laughs> have this with anybody else. This is completely new. Okay. <laughs> Let's have a look. Indecision is full of decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk about that. It's this idea that we always decide. We are always deciding whether we are doing something or we're not doing something. We are still deciding. We're either making um, active decisions or we are making passive decisions. So passive decisions is the idea that you're just like staying where you are, which is sometimes okay. You know, I'm not saying that you always need to change or to evolve or to whatever, but it is, it's still a decision, you know? So 
indecision is full of decision because just sitting and waiting and thinking and da 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 that's also a decision yeah 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 it actually says that on the next slide no i've i've stopped <laughs> read that on the next slide um let me find another one um okay oh, oh, oh. What would love say about this? Mm. Yeah, this is one of like my favorite coaching questions. So I use it a lot with clients um, as kind of, we, we always have two voices, right? The voice of fear and the voice of love speaking to yeah. us. The voice of fear is like what we talked about right at the beginning, the inner critic, the imposter syndrome, the, all of that. And we so easily get down, like we so easily hear that like inner critic, that da, 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 the voice of fear and, and, and that critic and all of that, it's so loud and so fast, it's like a rant. So just taking a pause and asking, what is, you know, what would love say about this? It just helps you like think, all right, okay, I've been in fear, I've been in these, these thoughts, what would love say? Love say love would say that you can trust yourself, or love would say that you know whatever the situation is. It's just connecting with a different part of you that can give you a different sort of perspective and advice. Yeah, like you said, because we need to pause because we can often get caught up in that runaway way of thinking of. Mm -hmm. When something starts going wrong in our mind, it very easily spirals, doesn't it? And goes, and that's where yeah. we are. We're caught in that little whirlwind of panic, stress, worry, self-doubt, etc. Yes, exactly. Because, and also our mind will always like find um, evidence to whatever concept we come up with. So if we just told ourselves, you know, I'll never be able to do this because I'm like this, this, and this. Then our mind will start like bringing us examples from the past where we couldn't do it and other people who did and da, da, da. Like, it's just, yeah, we need to, we need to pause and to, to kind of lean into a different side of us that, that is more compassionate and kind um, and less fearful. Yeah, less fearful. These, um, <laughs> I'm going to digress a little here. These um, conversations about fear and love, it always, I'm sure I said this on one of the other. Uh, yeah, yeah, you did. Well, the, no, you wrote it. Think of the yeah. Donnie Darko thing. Um, the, um, if anyone's seen Donnie Darko, Patrick Swayze plays this really dodgy character who's a quite evangelical life coach type and he defines life as being fear or love and you know that's it and he's a really strange character but um, <laughs> <laughs> but in a way in a way there is like some truth to that right because all of all our all of our emotions they kind of either fall under the category of fear or under the category of love I mean that's kind of yeah, but I can imagine that after watching this movie, you will never see this phrase in the same eyes. Yeah, yeah. He does, um, he does a task with the kids at school. Maybe you could use this for your clients where they draw a line, which is the path between fear and love. 
and they're given a scenario and they have to mark on that line where they are between fear and love. Oh, oh, okay. No, I don't think I'll use that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to pick another one of your phrases. Yeah, Um, I like it. It's one of your quotes. It's okay to feel sad after making the right decision. Mm-hmm. Whenever we're making a decision, we always have to let go of something, right? You, that's the whole thing about making a decision. It's between choosing A or B or C, D, whatever. So there's always something that we need to let go of. And even if it's the, the decision that feels really right and you know this is the right decision, it's still going to, fe- to feel sad to let go of something, of another part of you. Okay, yeah. So let's say that you, you, work, you work in a place where you really love your colleagues and you really love the, like the atmosphere and the vibes and everything, but you feel like you stopped growing and you feel like there is something that you want to explore different sides of yourself and you want to find you know you want to transition into a more maybe fulfilling work whatever it's still going to be sad to leave the office and your Mm -hmm. colleagues that you love even though this next step is something that you're really excited about or passionate about yeah yeah interesting because we often we often just think that we've made a decision to change our job we should just be happy Mm. Uh, but yeah that's That's not really it's you know it's not really how life works right and this is something else to talk about that we get to feel both and it's not we feel like we need to feel either happy or sad or um excited or afraid or you know but we we get as human beings to have this complexity of emotions and to feel both and both excited and afraid, both sad and happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this one as well. Stop outsourcing your knowing. I've got your back. Sincerely, your intuition. (laughs) I love how you read it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sounds very authoritative. And it is. That again, that's that's like trusting yourself. Yeah. And um, trusting your intuition. Yes, because the thing is that at the end of the day, the, there is no certainty. You can't make decisions and have a guarantee that this will go this way, that this is how things will unfold. And the only way to make what I call wholehearted decisions is to trust your, your knowing, your gut, your intuition, your inner wisdom, whatever you want to call it. Because at the end of the day, again, you, you can never know if you made the right decision or the wrong decision. If, because you can't know what would have happened if you chose like otherwise, you know? Mm. So if you chose the decision that feels right as a moment in your body, then at least you then you know that you you don't know if you did chose the right decision, but you know that you chose the decision that felt right at the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because we're often taught that um, like using our intuition is something that's 
shallow and impulsive and, mm -hmm. and we shouldn't do that you know you're acting on impulse you know you've not thought it through intuition is what is intuition yeah. it's not a yeah. tangible thing is it yes and we could probably go like do a whole podcast about about intuition but <laughs> what i would say is this um first of all i do i do distinguish between impulse and intuition it's not the same Impulse actually comes from your ego. It comes from like a very, you're in a very like high emotional state where you feel like, and you, you it's very reactive. You need to do this ASAP, right? Like, yeah, it's very much like the energy is very fast, quick. You have to do it. Da, da, da. Intuition is more like, it's more quiet. It comes slowly. It's like a whisper. It's a quiet, um, a quiet voice. There is no urgency with intuition mm -hmm. so so it's so it, it's not the same right so i i wouldn't encourage to act on your impulse i would encourage to act on your intuition and it's, yeah. sometimes it's hard to know the difference but i mean these are a few cues that you can like use right fast and furious that's impulse quiet yeah. and slow and soft that's intuition yeah and we're not encouraged to listen to our intuition or we are not taught how to listen to our intuition um we're taught how to use logic and um you know analyzing and reason that's what we're taught to use yeah. but the thing is that if we always use that and there is a place for that but when we use that to kind of we lead our life and our decisions through that logic part we'll always get the same results because this is what our brain knows right yeah we're always it's not listening listening to our mind is not surprising it's just the same record playing the same song again and again after we've kind of made a decision using our intuition that's where we can go to our brilliant brains because they are brilliant what they can do right and then figure out Okay, so knowing all of these things with everything I have, what do I need to, what steps do I need to take? Do I need to do it now? Do I need to do it in two months? Like, you know, that's where we go into da data and analyzing and making the roadmap or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But I think the first, first thing is that is really listening to that like deeper voice inside. Yeah. I think for some people, I don't know, maybe it's my age, but listening to something like your intuition that was just a feeling was because it wasn't a tangible thing it's just a feeling it was kind of disregarded mm -hmm. very often that people disregard that intuition if you say that you feel something is you know mm -hmm. going to affect you or that you won't like something or that it isn't the the good thing for you I remember my mum being like what do you mean it doesn't feel right? You know, factually, <laughs> there's this, 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 and this. It's going to get you there. This person's blah, blah, blah. It costs this much, whatever. What do you mean it doesn't feel right? Like the feeling side of things has constantly been disregarded for such a long time. Yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's much safer and it's more sen sensible to follow the path that we already know what's going to happen you know like 
you go to university, you study this, then you can find a job in this, then you do the, like, that's the safe, the sensible um, path. And that's, yeah, of course, <laughs> you, you know, of course our parents want, want to protect us, right? And, and to tell us like, what do you mean you're feeling? <laughs> you feel like this is not the right thing. Like you should follow this and this. This is where, yeah, it's just, it's a, again, it's a protection mechanism. Yeah. yeah. But the feelings are only going to get more negative and more tight if you constantly follow a path of factual, tangible things that don't feel right. Yeah. That's why at some point in your life, you get to that place where you're asking yourself, like is this is this it is this what i want like is this really what i want what what kind of choices um have i made have i really listened to to myself and obviously i didn't like when i when i listened to my mom and went and, and got a, a degree you know um i mean i'm i'm not i don't regret any of it it's exactly what i needed to you know that's the kind of that's my path but mm-hmm. I also know that I didn't listen to my intuition. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've got to that point where I, I could read many more of your <laughs> beautiful quotes, but um, it's the end of the of the chat. Mm, yeah, we can we can chat after about more quotes if you want. But yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's always good to wrap up with with the intuition right like such a a nice reminder to leave people with yeah remember to listen and to trust that voice um yeah and to follow follow that path this is why everybody needs a nama to help them Mm -hmm. get over the obstacles of listening to that voice and trusting themselves Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ms. It was really nice. And all I will say to the listeners is that I highly recommend, as I do with all the guests, to follow on Instagram. Um, but also sign up for, for Nama's newsletter because you get all of these wonderful explanations and, and motivations. And it's like a gentle shake on the shoulder sometimes of going, come on, wake up, listen to yourself, look at what's mm. going on. And mm. you know, it's a, sometimes I read some things in the newsletters that aren't necessarily a huge revelation to me, but there's things that you just kind of shove to the back of your mind and, and you, you provoke these ideas to come out of me. And I'm like, oh, right, yeah, oh, mm. Mm. There's that, isn't there? I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to really uh, be more like that. Yeah. So sign up to know oh, letters. Thank you. That's really nice. And uh, I just, I would just say, like you know, everything is. At the end of the day, everything is simple. That's why when you're saying like, it's not things that I don't know. Like I know them. Everything that we need to know and all the answers are actually very simple. It's just mm-hmm. that we make them more complicated. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thanks, Miss. It's been really <laughs> lovely talking to you again. With you too. <laughs> <laughs> so just to wrap up, for everyone listening, this is 
Dharma Things podcast. And my guest this week has been the lovely Nama Zusman. I uh, hope you have enjoyed it. And I hope you've got some little gems of wisdom. Follow on Instagram, share, like, all that kind of stuff, and sign up to Nama's newsletter. I will see you next month.